Thank you for joining us on a Morally Podcast with Tony May. Morally Podcast is purpose built for America. Through our military veterans and military supporters, we show that the values and qualities that built this country, such as service, sacrifice, respect, and faith, are not dead. A Morally Podcast builds community so individuals can improve their communities. Good Thursday to you, Tony Main, back with the Morley Podcast. And we have joining us today, Bill Kiefer. We love Bill because Bill lives in Ohio for one. Um, Army veteran, served 12 years, but is doing something a little bit more revolutionary with veterans, taking his civilian experience and, and kind of giving us his view of transition from his side of the desk. So, Bill, I know as a, as a proud uh, Toledo alumni, you had a, a pretty pr- pretty tough weekend with the Irish. Yeah, we did. You know, I was glad to see that they fought so hard uh, throughout the game that didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. Uh, I didn't get to actually see the game. Had a lot of stuff going on over the weekend, but you know, I like to keep tabs on my Rockets. No, no problem. And you were driving your Harley, riding your Harley around for a little bit as well. I was, yeah. We had a you know, 24th annual uh, uh, bike rally here in our small town. We only have 1,400 people in the town. We had over 500 bikes show up. So it was pretty cool. Outstanding. That is outstanding. So the reason we brought you on, you do have a book, but before we get to it, tell me what this means. Talent management leader, talent management advisor, strategic talent management um planner, all these things that we've kind of seen if someone looks at your LinkedIn, what does that mean? Much as I need to tell you in the military what it means in the civilian world, tell me what that means as a, as a recently retired service member. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, you know, a talent management leader really works with the business leaders, in my case, the C-suite leaders for large, com- complex global companies to look at the business plan through the lens of talent. What talent capabilities are required in what quantity, where and when? Um, so we understand how we get a pipeline of people in the right seats, in the right place, at the right time to do what we said we're going to do. It starts from mission planning, goes through workforce planning, and then it takes on all the typical HR characteristics that you might expect. Recruiting, acquisition, interviewing, onboarding, performance management, succession planning, offboarding, the whole thing. But the root of it, it's different than your classical technical tactical HR It's that we work with the business leaders to first understand the mission and then build talent capability to suit. So as an ordinance officer, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's if that came out on your little printout during your transition uh, assistance program course that you would be go straight into this talent management field or HR field, what kind of got you from ordinance into HR and what did you do well or enjoy about it that made you want to keep on kind of going up the rung? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. You know, I spent time, uh, most of my time was up with Light of Trade Division, the 7th ID back in the day and the 10th Mountain Division. And, you know, I've, I've been a battalion uh, uh, S3. Um, I've been a company commander. And what I found the common theme throughout the military is that we do a great job of not just mission planning, but training and development and talent planning. And um, I knew that that was going to be a critical piece towards business success for civilian corporations. Now, it's kind of unique because a lot of companies really don't, and I don't want to disparage any companies, a lot of companies really don't look robustly at talent strategy. HR is a, uh, it's a process. You know, I need people, go get people. 
well, how many do you need and what talent, what caliber and what, and a lot of operational leaders will just go, just get me people. And sometimes that works well. And sometimes that doesn't work well. So I gained the appreciation for talent management, truly good talent management that the military does. I thought, you know what, there's something here to offer the civilian business community also. And so what was the, throughout your book, let's just go ahead and, and bring up the book for a second. So military career transition insights from the employer side of the desk. Um, number one in, in Amazon under under job hunting, pretty, pretty awesome. So somebody reads it and likes it. Somebody finds it a value. Um, I finished it over the weekend. And the most important part for me, very quick read, right? Made sense. Uh, it was almost a bullet bullet point slide of the, what you might want to think about. And the biggest thing that I found overall was culture. Mm -hmm addressed from the military to civilian side, the civilian side back down to the military side, and then just as a new member of the workforce, it seemed like you were always touching on mindset and culture. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think about this from the military context. If you think back to however you um, assessed into the military, uh, basic training, officer basic training, the service academy, whatever, much of the time that was spent in those courses, in those experiences was on culture. You got to get familiar with the organization, its norms, its values, so on and so forth. You got to learn some of the technical bits too along the way, but there's much time spent getting acculturated to the organization. Um, and then when you come out to the civilian world, there's not a heck of a lot of time spent doing that. Say, hey, this is the new world. Now, I spent 22 years as an HR talent management leader in big corporate uh, organizations, and I found that our military veterans came out not understanding what the civilian world expected. And I found that most employers didn't understand the great talent capability that was standing before them. And it was a swing and a miss on both sides. So great people went unemployed and great uh, opportunities to uh, help companies went unmet. And so when, you know, it's a book, so you kind of got to divide it up into chunks. Mm -hmm. So let's take a look here. You have, you have a total of five. And kind of starting, I saw this very much as a as a building type book from let me get your attention. Let me kind of know where you're at all the way up into really the execution of transition. That's exactly how I intended it. So awesome. I'm so glad to hear that feedback. Well, great. And so let's let's get into a few as we look at each of those um, sections. I'm going to give you my favorite. Uh, and, and for the audience to kind of kind of see as well. And, you know, we do this on uh, some people listen just to audio. So I'll go ahead and and, and read them and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of discuss as we go. First, general business insight. So the first chapter after the forward, number three out of your 151 uh, insights, we, um, meaning the employer side, usually do our homework before posting a job opening. Yeah, you know, it's important, I think, that before for our veterans, uh, they, they need to understand the world they're getting into. You know, the military has uh, ITP, intelligence prep of the battlefield. I kind of take this whole thing and look at it as intelligence prep of the career battlefield. So let's first look at the general terrain of general business. And in the context of hiring and bringing on talent, that transition world that our veterans are going to uh, uh, experience, 
they need to understand how things work. And I've worked with some veterans who get frustrated because, well, I got engaged with a company, I heard about an opportunity, and as we talked, it didn't really sound like they knew what they wanted. So the way I uh, wrote that insight is we usually do our homework. So you got to do your homework as a transitioning veteran to understand what the employer's asking for, because quite frankly, if you can't answer the ask, you're not going to get hired. And then you also have to have a little bit of understanding and a little bit of grace to go, you know, the employer may not know exactly what they want. So why is that? You know, when you come up through the military, whether it's enlisted career progression, officer career progression, there are specific courses, there are specific experiences um, that you have to take. And it's pretty clear on what you need to be doing to get from one to two to three to four and so on. In the civilian world, though, it's much grayer. So the employers, the hiring manager may say, I know I need somebody to deliver X and Y, and I need them to be able to behave in this kind of a manner. Can you do the work I need done? And can you fit in and add value to the team? Beyond that, the specifics may vary a little bit. And that may be a good thing for a candidate who um, knows how to engage with an employer. So if I don't know exactly what I'm looking for, but I know generally, then I'm going to say, Tony, you know, I'm looking for these things. And as the conversation evolves, I might go, wow, Tony's got capability that could take this job in a different direction than I anticipated. That could be a very good thing. But if the need to have exact clarity and specificity um, on the job expectations is there, um, you can create a kind of a wall between you and the employer. So you want to be as specific as possible. You want to understand the expectations but keep your ears and eyes open for opportunities to maybe leverage the great capabilities you bring. And so how, how do you how do you find those? Is that is that kind of the part of building your tribe? Can you ask somebody in the company? Should you be asking people in like industries or is that a piece of kind of what comes a little bit later in the book as well? Well, I, I do cover some of it a little bit later in the book. But, you know, you know to, to understand what the employer wants, you got to do your homework. You have to be out there, um, you know, gathering intelligence, as it were. And you have to understand not only the data, the, 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 the written words, the advertised uh, position description, but you need to start understanding the people. Now, how do you do that? Well, you do that by reaching out and talking to people, which I know is hard for some folks. Um, you know, in the military, we some folks aren't necessarily all that excited about uh, networking with folks. I'm going to talk to my chain of command and I'll talk to those folks that are great enablers and supporters. And, you know, we'll do all the right stuff, but it's, it's, it's within a pretty narrow scope, right? Now you're being asked to go out and you, you have to go out and meet new people you've no connection with and ask them about things you know nothing about. So you can start building that tribe, building that network. And I, I don't know if we'll talk about it later on or not, but it's important to understand that over 80% of the salaried professional jobs that get filled get filled by second and third tier network connections. They don't get filled because you did an online application. They get filled because you met somebody who knows somebody who knows about an opportunity. And I will tell you that I have not ever gotten a civilian job that I didn't network my way into. I never got one in 23 years. I never got one by applying online. And so you are talk, talk about being flexible and adaptable with a little bit of training and rehearsal there for networking. Um, the, the fourth out of the five big topics hit on 
That is that is 107. Most jobs are found by a second or a third tier connections, which to me sounds like that is the ROI of networking. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it is funny because people many times uh, military veterans, but others, too, they're, they're hesitant to network because they feel like, you know, it's kind of manipulating and I don't want to go ask for something. And, and I have this discussion with folks that I coach and I, I say, OK, networking is not manipulation if your intent is right. OK, if your intent is to go out there and do something for yourself and solely for yourself, that's manipulation. That's not networking. But if your intent is to go out, meet someone new and different, perhaps learn something from them, perhaps make an ask of them. But if you're willing to provide back whatever you can provide them, even make the offer, that's networking and it's not manipulative. And I think what a lot of folks don't understand that is in the context of career transition, most people want to help. They truly do want to help. I don't have a statistical uh, uh, analysis for you about that, but I've been doing this a really long time. And if people call me up and say, hey, I need some help, if I understand what help they need, I'm glad to help them. And that's another challenge that many veterans have relative to networking. They don't know how to articulate their ask. It's like, I, I know I'm leaving the military. I, I don't know where I'm going, so I don't know what to ask for. Um, I don't know what the context of the environment looks like, so I don't know how to ask the question. And so what I try to offer here, and, and you were spot on, I'm glad it came out, is a lot of work around the culture that you're about to get into, um, the culture of transition, the culture of uh, commercial business. Um, and, you know, they all vary a little bit from company to company, just like things do from unit to unit and service to service. But this whole issue of becoming familiar with the cultural landscape you're going to get into is critically important, but networking is the key and people want to help. Like Jerry Maguire said, help me help you though. Be clear about what you want when you make the ask and then be ready to make an offer also when you network. And, and as you mentioned, as we kind of talked through, through, that, through that culture, um, the idea that like the company's putting the job opening out, you're not putting that job opening out for that company, Big deal that you get a job another day in the life of that company that they've hired you. Of course, maybe the higher the position, the more influence, maybe that is celebrated a little bit more or, or, or less. But you talked about individual research, individual, then the networking is, is building that team in, in, in tribe. So what, under your chapter for transition, I thought back to back something very powerful um, insight 68 and 69 mentors, coaches, and advisors are key to your learning. Engage them. Mm -hmm. um, myriad VSOs exist to help you reach out to them. And so two points on that. First is one of the most distinguished officers that I've ever served with. The, one of the best officers I ever served with was the person who told me as a public affairs officer that myriad is an adjective and there is no of. So that in and of itself, every time I see myriad and then the noun and not myriad of, I just personally get a little bit excited. So thank you for that memory <laughs> of Afghanistan uh, uh, Special Operations Task Force I was a part of to, to back now. But you kind of practice what you preach with this as well. You are a coach and a, I, I think a, a member of the advisory board of coaches for the Honor Foundation. I am. 
I am. Yeah, they reached out to me a little over a year ago. They had seen my stuff on LinkedIn and heard a little bit about what I do and how I do it. Thought I might be uh, uh, might have something to add some value. Um, so I interviewed and was blessed to get uh, uh, selected to be a coach. And after I think about one cohort, I think they asked me to be on the coach advisory board. So um, it, it, what a great organization. I mean, their mission is fantastic. Um, they do great things for great people. Uh, who have also done great things. Um, they've got a very, um, I think, important and clear approach to helping folks through transition. Um, and I'm just, I, yeah, I'm honored to be part of that group. It, it really, really is a give back that I'm pleased to be part of. Well, it goes many principles that you have in the book too, in terms of to, to be a member of the Honor Foundation. You know, it's an application process. It is. They want to know that you're bought in. They're, they're generally although they can take some people post-transition, they're seeking that person at two years when they're in that retirement window at 18 months, that separation window um, to start early. Like that's recommended. And then they focus on building that. After you get all the personal narrative out, it's it's about uh, building that network and, and and being part of the team. So you, can you talk about what does, you know, it, it may be difficult, but just that true importance of becoming part of something successful instead of doing it all by a research by yourself. No, absolutely. Um, you know, each and, each and every one of us have um, great capabilities in different ways, but none of us can do everything in the world. N you know, no man is an island, right? Um, and while um, folks from the Ranger Regiment, Special Operations community, other uh, communities are highly capable individually, each and every member depends on other members of his or her team. They, they depend on the enablers that are behind them to help things uh, uh, get them what they need when they need it. They depend on allied uh, intelligence sources and partners to do these the work they need to do, to, to do. Nobody goes to battle alone. Now, there are individual fights you have to fight, but nobody goes to battle alone. So it, it, it really does boggle my mind when people get to transitions. Man, I got to do this alone. Where in the world did that concept come from? And oftentimes it's, I, I think, and I'll just be blunt, I think it's fear and pride. I, I'm afraid to, um, to, to enter into something I'm, I'm not familiar with. And I've got a lot of personal pride. And I don't want to have to admit that I'm scared and I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. Everybody gets it. I was scared to death when I got out and I didn't know anything. Um, and some folks are more willing to admit the fear and more willing to let go of the pride. Um, but I will tell you, that those that admit the fear and give give up the pride sooner, they're more successful faster. And and it, it is it's insight number one hundred and two. By the way, almost almost made this big board that I created uh, for this. Uh, that you know the the soft truth, the fifth soft truth right. is most most special operations special operations require non soft assistance or non-soft enablers. And, and there is something about the team culture construct of the military that is institutionalized and hardwired into us that once we leave it, right? There's not, you have to make that institution. You have to, everything that was provided for you within the institution, it is out there in the civilian world. It's out there in spades, but you're the CEO. You're the commander. You're the captain of building your own, and no one does that for you. 
Right. I mean, you have to have your own vision for the future. You got to build your own strategy. You got to be your own chief marketing officer and you got to be your own janitor. You got to do it all. And, you know, I, this is really a big challenge, you know, because the, the culture of the military, regardless of branch or service, is all about the mission. It's all about you. It's all about your team and your organization and about making all of that successful whether it's the training and development, whether it's the career management, whether it's the equipment and tools that are around, whether it's funding, whether it's base support, family support groups, it's all focused on helping make you, your team, your organization, and your mission successful. That creates a certain amount of momentum. It creates a certain amount of inertia. It creates a certain amount of comfort, knowing that you're there as part of something bigger to help you be successful. When you get into the transition world, that doesn't exist unless you go build it. You have to build it. And if you don't, you may be successful, but, you know, hope is not a, a plan nor a method of execution, right? 100%. So you really need to, you made a point about starting early. This stuff takes time to understand. It takes time to become practice. It takes time to become habit. So you really do need to start thinking about and learning about your transition early, 18 to 24 months minimum. Now, that doesn't mean you got to be going to tap classes and doing it, but start thinking about well, what do I want to do? I always like to start with who am I and what am I bringing to the party? The good, the bad, and the ugly about me. Because if you don't know you, you know, Sun Tzu talked about that. You got to know yourself before you engage in battle, right? And there's some of that in the book, too. Um, you got to know who you are, what you're bringing to the party, and how you define success. For the vast majority of people, you're not going to get that answer overnight. So start now. I, you know, maybe you're five years into your career. Maybe you're five years out from retirement. What harm does it do to take a little time out of your day or your week and go, what am I going to be when I grow up? What happens when the uniform comes off? What sounds good to me? What am I interested in? And then go find out if what you think that is really is what it is and if it's really so appealing. And if not, well, then you've got time to figure something else out. And Bill, just so, uh, I mean, 100, I couldn't agree more. We, if you like to ride your Harley, if you like to road bike, if you like to run, if you like to work out, if you like to garden, whatever your hobbies are, you're going to do most of the processes that you talk about in this book um, that are difficult. And I think it's just that human interaction. And so I want to move that human interaction. I think where you provide the most value for someone who's been in um, maybe 15 years plus to retirement, who might have learned and got to their position by their ability to network, to do well, to perform, to communicate such an important part of the military. Um, now, it, when, when we look at talent acquisition, recruiting and interviewing, so now we're getting down into the weeds of what you do and something that in the military you might touch tangentially, but not, but not too often. This one struck a chord because I can't name the number of times either I've made this mistake or I've seen it repeated in future generations of during, this is specifically during the interview process, but I think you could almost make it go throughout even the application research process. I'm listening to hear if you understand and can answer the questions I'm asking. 
Huge point. Huge point. You know, at the root of the hiring decision, I, I mentioned earlier, there's two, de two decisions and everything else revolves around these two decisions. Are you the person that I believe is best capable to successfully do the work I need done? That's number one. And two, do I believe you're going to fit well and add value to my team? The cultural, behavioral bit, right? If you can't understand the questions I'm asking, if you can't even understand it, let alone answer it well, that's potentially a red flag on both counts. Now, maybe it's a red flag technically. You know, you just don't know the systems we've used and whatever. Or maybe it's a red flag behavior. It could be both. So, you know, this, this whole, con it's a legal construct, you know, ask, answer. The lawyers will tell you, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to, right? If you think about the context of interviewing, applying for jobs, that job posting, by and large, will tell the candidate everything they're asking for. It's, it's a menu of things that they want in a, in a candidate. That's their asks. The successful candidate is the one who best answers every ask. Now, I, I've got models and tools and stuff that I work with people when I coach folks into, into individually about how to specifically do that. But when you get to an interview, and it does apply to networking too, if you're engaged in a conversation and they ask a question and you answer something they didn't ask, you just gave them cause for doubt. It's like, wow, we're not speaking the same language here. He didn't answer what I asked. Does he not get it? Ooh, that's not good. Is he trying to be evasive? That's not good either. Um, so you, you got to be mindful that the person sitting across the table from you, the interviewer, a skilled one is listening for whether you even understand what they're asking first. And I've, I've had very senior people. They just didn't get it. They didn't get the job either. And that's and that's great because in here you'll talk about some of those pitfalls, the the overconfidence, right? The, the ability not to smile. Like you're in a job interview, you might be employed, you might make some good money, you might be really happy. Shop probably show some respect and part of part of being there that you're excited to be there. It, it's all in here. And so, Bill, I just want to for our viewers once again, I just want to show them the book Military Career Transition. Um, came out this year, top of Amazon's job hunting category, uh, broken down with 151 insights from the employer side of the desk. And let me tell you how much I, I value this book. So I have, you know, the great fortune in, in my day job to work as a director of Gallant Fuse Ranger program. So starting today, every ranger that comes through as they begin their transition process, and we're seeing them early and earlier as we're building that culture change, will receive a copy of your book. And it's going to be an expectation as we progress with them to their either education choice of their desire or their career industry of their desire that they understand and we incorporate this into part of our program. So that's the impact I believe this book has the ability to make on individuals who want to transition well. Oh, that, that is fantastic news, Tony. That is fantastic. All right, Bill. Thank you once again. If, it, if someone wants to get connected to you, um, is, is the best way to LinkedIn? How should they connect to Bill Kiefer? Yeah, LinkedIn is definitely the best way. Uh, I'm on it every day. I'm really active. Um, so if you're not on LinkedIn, you can go to my website, www.kiefer-associates.com. And uh, there's a way to reach me there. Um, and if you just want to email, it's bill at 
kiefer-associates.com. Bill, thank you once again for being on today. We look forward to bringing you on again in the future as the book evolves and the success stories continue to roll out from it. Very good. Thank you, Tony. Much appreciated. It's an honor to be affiliated with you and uh, this great group. All right. Have a great week, Bill. Can't thank Bill enough for coming on a Morley podcast with Tony Maine. This is a labor of love, and this is a podcast for America. Feel free to send us questions or comments. Use the social media platforms or email Tony at rangerforlife.com. So with the rest of your day, find a way to do something positive for someone else. We hope you enjoyed a Morley podcast with Tony May, and we appreciate your viewership. If you'd like to hear more from Tony or one of his guests, you can view or listen to past episodes at TonyMain.Podbean.com. Until next time, be a community builder for America.